I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Do you have a dyslexic friend? Are you dyslexic yourself? I would probably say you very likely know someone that has dyslexia. It's uh, a lot more common than we think it is. Statistics will say between 5 and 17%. It could be up to as high as one in every five people that you know is dyslexic. One of my absolute best friends, one of my very, very valuable coaches, declared dyslexic and she teaches me so much. And I got interested in the topic. And so when I came across the work of today's guest, I was completely overtaken by it. I really needed to talk to her. So today we're going to be spending time with Kate Griggs, who is a social entrepreneur. Uh, She's an award-winning campaigner and she is a best-selling author, all focused on the topic of dyslexia. She has founded a charity, a global charity, with the objective of alerting the world to dyslexia called Made by Dyslexia, which basically is campaigning to show the world how brilliant dyslexic people are if they're given the right attention so that they can go through the nuisances of dealing with the simple things that we need to deal with in school. She is also the best-selling author of This is Dyslexia, her book that came out in the UK and in a digital format, but coming out in the US on March 1st. So by the time we air this episode, it will be out already globally, which basically has the same objective of making sure that you understand what dyslexia is and how you can deal with it if it's present in one of your loved ones and how far dyslexics have gone to change our world, whether through entrepreneurship, through art, uh, through even authors and storytellers. It really is quite eye-opening because most of what you see about dyslexia in the mainstream media is focusing perhaps on the negative side, the positives oh my God, they totally outweigh the negatives. I hope you will enjoy this conversation today. It focuses on dyslexia, but it also talks about everything that we sometimes try to frame our kids into, which limits them rather than focuses on their strengths. I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Kate Griggs. So for everyone listening, I've just had a wonderful conversation with Kate for the last 25 minutes, only to recognize that I was not recording. So anyway, I think you should be aware that Kate is so kind and wonderful and generous to talk about the same topics again. And I'm absolutely certain we will have a wonderful conversation one more time. Kate, thank you so much for putting up with me. I apologize for the mistake. I was very excited about the conversation that I forgot to record. 
Oh, Mo, thank you. I mean, I'm so excited to be here that um, really we all make mistakes and I make lots of them because I'm dyslexic and that's kind of the way the way you roll when you're you're a dyslexic person in a non-dyslexic world. So honestly, no problem. It's, it's an honour to be here and I'm super passionate about what I do so I can talk about it all day long as many times as you well, want me to. Let's talk about it all day long then because first of all, I uh, I love that you are so open about it. So you say, I'm dyslexic. You also think that lots of people surrounding you are dyslexic and you're now standing to sort of wake the world up to say, by the way, this is an amazing thing to be dyslexic. And that's not the common way people normally refer to dyslexia. So can we start from the beginning and tell us a little bit about where you are, how you ended up to know that you are dyslexic, how it affected your life? Tell me your story. Why are we talking, you and I? So I'm dyslexic and almost everybody in my family is. My father was dyslexic and he sadly is no longer with us, but he was a a crazy botanist and scientist and invented the grow bag actually. And he was one of six children and I think almost all of his brothers and sisters were dyslexic too. My brother, who's a little bit older than me, is dyslexic and it was him that uh, really started our family's journey with it back in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. Tom was was told he really struggled with reading and writing and he was told actually back in those days the term I think was educationally subnormal so he was pulled out of mainstream school and my father being sort of determined to show that Tom was really bright and he wasn't going to have anybody saying otherwise because he knew that there was something wrong with the education system not his son And Tom was sent to a school that really helped him. And then when I was failing my exams and was being told that I would never be able to go to mainstream school, my dad did the same thing and thought, you know, we're not having this. There's obviously maybe Kate's dyslexic too. So I went for an interview at my brother's school when I was nine years old. And that interview literally changed my life. And I went and sat in in with the headmaster and, and relayed all the things that I'd been told when I was sitting in front of my head headmistress the couple of days before, which is that I wasn't very bright, wasn't going to be able to stay in mainstream school. I tried hard, but couldn't succeed at anything. So probably the school might not want me. And the headmaster said, oh, we're not worried about exams. He said, we can help you to pass exams. He said, what we want to know is what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What is it that really makes you get out of bed in the morning? Because that's what's going to make you successful in life. And that's what's going to make you happy. And it, that was just a complete eye-opener for me from feeling like I was a complete failure to realising that somebody understood how I thought. And that really was the start of, of my passion and my mission to try and help the world understand that dyslexia is a brilliant way of thinking. We do need some support in school, but as long as we get that, we can absolutely fly and flourish. And literally within a couple of months, I was doing so well in school, it just totally transformed my life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, shouldn't every child get someone that tells them that? What was it? We can make anyone pass the exams, but uh, it's your passions, your skills, and what you're good at that we care about. Isn't that how the education system should be? I mean, if you don't mind sharing with me, how did it feel being in school at the time, being expected to do the typical things like times tables or reading out loud or whatever, but failing at them? 
not because of any lack of intelligence, but basically because of a different wiring of a brain, right? And then you, as a child, you get sort of attacked or labeled. How was that experience? Well, if you bear in mind the sort of praise to criticism ratio that we know that you need five positive comments to counteract a negative one, then that completely lines up the fact that most dyslexic people will have problems with self-esteem at school. They will they will think they are not good at anything because reading out loud, doing your spelling tests, times tables, remembering lots of facts and figures and dates and things for tests are all things that are in our challenge wheelhouse. We just are not good at those things. And those are the things that when you're young at school are really the things that you're graded on and they're the things that people expect you to learn. And as a child, you're very aware that you can't do the things other people are doing. And if there isn't the emphasis on your strengths and all the amazing things that come with dyslexia, that really does weigh heavily on you. And that's why it's just so important that if we do nothing else, we need to change the way we see dyslexia to recognise the strengths and put as much value on those as we do on the challenges. But all the things that we find challenging... Either you can get support for it and you can be taught to do the best you can at those things, or technology now is taking them over. I mean, everybody uses spell check. Everybody types things and gets their thoughts on paper and uses all the, the, the technology to help you make sense of it. It isn't really, we don't need to be good at spelling anymore, to be honest. We don't need to be good at a lot of the things we're teaching at school. And it's the other skills that the world needs. And those are the things that dyslexics are so good at. So when dyslexia is defined, if you don't mind me saying, I, I don't believe in this at all, but the common definition actually only focuses on the downsides. Basically, it, it focuses on an inability to read or inability to recognize symbols or numbers and so on and so forth. But you're saying that an appropriate definition of dyslexia also should include the strengths. So so what are those strengths? So dyslexic strengths, We've I run a, a charity, um, founded a charity called Made by Dyslexia. And I have done a lot of work with psychologists and, and super smart people and thousands of dyslexic people too, to actually define what dyslexic thinking skills actually are. And we've defined them for adults, but we've also defined them for children as well. And for adults, um, they're imagining, communicating, visualizing, connecting, exploring, and reasoning. So those are the six strengths. And then there are sort of sub-strengths within that. But to put it into sort of real terms, dyslexic people uh, are big picture thinkers. So we think holistically, we see across a whole range of things and within one problem to actually get to the nub of it. And it's a real skill that dyslexics have. In fact, GCHQ, the British intelligence agency who we've worked with, actively recruit dyslexic people and spies for the way that they think because they can see across masses of information and get to, to the hub of it. It's also a brilliant skill for entrepreneurs as well. Then in terms of visualising or, or thinking in a multi-sensory way, we tend to use all of our senses when we attack a problem. So it'll be what we see, what we feel, what we sense, just what we hear, everything around something to help us get to a problem. It won't just be seeing things, um, or a solution rather, it won't just be seeing things in a linear fashion. And then I think dyslexics as well, one of the greatest strengths we have is as imaginers. So we're very good at seeing what could be 
not what is. So that makes dyslexics very good at innovation. Again, entrepreneurship, 40% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic. So those sorts of traits in, in, I know it's an amazing stat, isn't it? If you think of most of the great entrepreneurs of our time, they're more than likely dyslexic. So Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, Nick Jones, who's the founder of Soho House, the Ingvar Kamprad, who started IKEA, all of them are dyslexic. And it's they ha- seem to have an ability to see problems before others don't and then find solutions to those problems. And that's what makes an amazing brand. So it's those sorts of things that really make dyslexics brilliant. But they're all soft skills. They're all the sort of right-brained feminine skills, if you like, that we don't really rate in education. Those are the things we don't put importance on and we don't measure. And we absolutely need to because the world needs dyslexic thinking. This feels like a stab in my heart, to be honest. I mean, when you compare the skill to spell check versus the skill to be imaginative or a big picture thinker. And, you know, humanity values spell checking more than being a big picture thinker. I wonder who's actually not intelligent. I mean, in reality, this actually is quite eye-opening when you think about it. One of my best, absolute best friends and very frequently my coach, Sonia, she is dyslexic and she tells everyone that she is. And because we communicate in English and her mother tongue is Dutch, she will always use a phone to see if the words are correct and the spell check is correct and so on. But she's brilliant, especially with with what you're talking about, big picture thinking, the ability to tell me things that I've never thought existed, really, when I'm thinking about the problem. And, you know, sometimes so out there that stretches my imagination to be able to actually follow. And, And I find that to be so much more important than writing a properly formatted letter with the right punctuation and the right spelling. Why is it that our education system started to shift in terms of its focus on the stuff that doesn't matter, making people that you know have the potential of becoming brilliant feel, what did you call it, subnormal? Education is subnormal, yes, that was the 1960s term, it's a good one. Why is that? I think the education system was really created for the Industrial Revolution. And I don't think it's caught up since then. It's sort of, it's stayed in that space for an awful lot of time, particularly the British education or the English education and exam system at the moment is diabolical. And we're working very hard to change that. But here's the thing that is is so important, and it's why we are, as a charity and foundation, we're really on a mission to change this. We've done three pieces of research. We did two pieces of research with the global consultancy EY. And the first piece of research done back in 2018 looked at dyslexic thinking skills and it looked at the World Economic Forum skills for the future. And there was literally a direct match between dyslexic thinking skills and the skills we need for the future. We did another report in 2019, and that again looked at dyslexic thinking skills and the skills the World Economic Forum said we need for the future. And again, direct match. But what we also looked at in that was dyslexic challenges and where dyslexic challenges fitted on the scale for the skills that we need. And they're the skills that we're not looking for anymore. So 
technology is going to be able to take over our challenges and the skills are all things that technology is not going to be able to take over. All the human skills, the the feminine skills, the right brain skills, if you like. And we then did a piece of research that we released last year with the global recruitment company Manpower. And that looked at how the pandemic had shifted skills and the skills that global workforce needs right now. So that looked at at research which has been out, which is says that by 2025, 50% of, of our jobs are going to be done by machines and the other 50% are going to need exactly the skills that dyslexic people have. So it's like a 10 out of 10 match for the top 10 skills the workforce needs in 2025, which is now basically. So if we don't change the way we see dyslexia, if we don't change the way that we are actually standardised testing these brilliant non-standardised minds, then we're going to have a real problem as a world. And also looking, uh, I started reading your book, Scary Smart, which is, is scary, but also for a dyslexic person, I think it's actually really good news because if we can actually start telling machines that spelling doesn't matter, we can sort spelling out. What's important are all these incredible skills that dyslexics have, you know, empathy, creativity, emotional intelligence, innovation, all of those things that machines can't do as well, and maybe will never be able to do. Then we're actually starting to value the right sort of intelligences. And I think just as, you know, artificial intelligence is, is giving an intelligence, an intelligence revolution in the sense of what's happening in technology, I think we need to have a human intelligence revolution where we actually really look as a world, what is important? What does count? What should we measure? And what should we value? And dyslexia plays a massive role in, in those skills. I'm with you 100%, by the way. I am an engineer. And when I used to go to engineering school, there was this very strange rule that we had that basically said you can't use a scientific calculator until year three, I think, of engineering school. So the first two years you had to use your brain, basically. And I have to admit, I was very comfortable with that. Math was always very, very, very simple for me. But the minute I started to use a scientific calculator, me and my friends who were good in math were starting to say, will this slow us down? Will it take away our ability to do math in the future? Is this the right thing to do? We would brag about being able to do a a long division to the seventh decimal point in our brain or whatever. And I'll have to tell you openly, the minute a scientific calculator displaced my need to do those things, my mind was freed up to do things that are way more interesting as an engineer, right? I was actually focusing on the real design. I was focusing on the big picture of where the forces are and what's bending impact is happening and so on and so forth, right? And so those those things by definition are not supposed to be what we were made for in the first place. And it's, in, it's really interesting that, you know, the way you describe it now, it's almost like saying, look, using a hammer is the most important skill a child should know because we used a tool in the past that's called the hammer that basically meant you can drive a nail. If now you have a robot that can do this, why, why would you want to learn to use a hammer in the first place? You can just literally focus on the design or the, or the bigger things. Now, tell me how... It was different. So your brother, Tom, went to a special school from the beginning. You didn't. So you had to go until age nine to a school that didn't cater to your skills, 
and strengths, and then you shift it, right? What happened when you shifted? What did they do differently? Is it like a, a massively complex thing or did they do simple things that made it easier for you? Very simple things. In fact, I mean, it is a mainstream school. It's not a, a special school for dyslexia. It's just a school. It was actually the first school in the world that recognised and took dyslexic children. It was set up way back in the 30s. But what they did differently was twofold. Firstly, it was about your strengths. So what are you good at? What do you love to do? Let's find your your superpower and make sure that we build your confidence by acknowledging those things and letting you fly with those things because that's what's going to make you successful. And then the things that dyslexics find difficult, like, you know, learning to read or comprehend. Um, I'm, I actually was quite good at reading. I just, my reading was slow. My processing speeds in reading were slow. My spelling was terrible. My maths, my times tables, I, I was very good at knowing what the answers were, but I couldn't tell you how I got there. And obviously maths is all about the process of, of recording in education anyway, recording how you get to the answers. So what, what you need as a dyslexic child is just some help to look at where your strengths are, where your challenges are, and then having techniques and tips and methods that help you to learn what you're not so good at, and then focus on your strengths. So, you know, there are lots of things teachers can do to help children be better at spelling. There are lots of things that you can do. For instance, a lot of very, very great storytellers like Roald Dahl, Agatha Christie, all sorts of them, um, Dav Pikey, they're all dyslexic. And oh, actually wow. what they write in terms of their spelling mistake doesn't matter. What matters is what the words are. So not focusing on those things, but focusing on the content and the creativity, not the sort of secretarial skills, if you like. And applying those sorts of things throughout education are, are really, really important to do for kids. The way you describe it now, then I must be dyslexic. I mean, when I'm writing, I promise you, like, at least 25% of the page is marked red by the spell check. Like, I don't care what I'm spelling. It's a, And I write like a machine, right? I write so much and it doesn't make any difference. I also, by the way, had that thing of, uh, I know the answer to math, but I just don't really care to tell you how I got there. It's like, do you really need me? And I remember vividly as a child that my dad used to teach me to say, sort of slow down and explain it to the teacher when you're answering the exam. Because typically I would, you know, get a very long algebra question you know, in the exam and I would say A equals five, B equals seven. And that was my answer. And my dad would go like, no, they thought you cheated. <laughs> this is not a good answer. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, this doesn't only apply to dyslexic. It applies to everyone finding strengths is the way we should treat all of our children, isn't it? I mean, I don't like social sciences. Does that count like a, a diagnosed issue? I mean, why is it that ADHDs or dyslexics are considered, they have strengths, we should focus on those strengths, right? I completely agree with you. I mean, if you look at any or almost any successful person, what they will do is they will focus on the good things, the things that they're good at. They'll do masses and masses of it. So they become an absolute, absolute expert at it and they'll delegate the things that they're not so good at. Right. And that is a success that's 
formula for success for almost everybody. For dyslexic people, it's absolutely essential because the things that we're not good at, we're normally really, really not good at. And the things that we are good at, we're normally brilliant at it. So it is an absolute essential for dyslexic children but it's and dyslexic people, but it's actually good for everybody. And equally, if we could change the education system so we were placing more importance on all of the incredible things that dyslexics can do and making those things valuable, as I've said, those skills are actually the skills that the future needs. So it's almost as if dyslexia is pioneering the change and forcing the change that actually will be good for for everybody Uh, and I think that's the really really important thing and Mo if you're not good at spelling it's an almost given that you're dyslexic and also entrepreneur uh, rather engineers lots of engineers are brilliant brilliant dyslexic so I am a proud dyslexic everyone there you go I am horrible at spelling. I, I always thought it's because English is not my native language, but I don't care. I'll just count myself dyslexic. Can I ask you, Kate, so when we when we were not recording and we were chatting before, you told me a beautiful story about how you started your mission. So now you have lots of research. You have your book, This is Dyslexia, which I think is amazing. I ordered it, but I haven't received it yet. Out on March 1st, isn't it? March 1st in US, but it's it's out globally on March 1st, yeah. Yeah. And then you have your foundation. And all of that was triggered by Ted, by a conversation you had with Ted. Would you mind sharing this with us, please? Sure, sure. So as I explained, my experience at school went from horrible to brilliant. So I kind of, my education was with lots and lots of other dyslexic people who were brilliant and we all understood how we worked and how good our brains were. We all went on to do things that really focused on our our passions. And I thought the world had got dyslexia. I thought, you know, okay, my experience is going to be what everybody's got when I had my children. I thought they must have caught up by now. And my son, Ted, who is actually really, really dyslexic, it was obvious to me from age three. I mean, he when he was about three and a half, he could tell you the name of every single dinosaur. He could tell you whether they were a herbivore or a carnivore. He knew everything about them, but had no interest. He couldn't write his name and had no interest in reading. He loved being read to, but no interest in reading. He was super creative. He was obviously a really smart young young boy. And when we took him to school, I said to the teachers, look, my whole family are dyslexic. He's definitely dyslexic. I can just see because of the way he thinks. And of course, I was thinking because of the brilliant things that he can do, he's definitely dyslexic. So I said, can you just keep an eye on it? And they said, oh, yes, so all the teachers here are trained in dyslexia. So we we know lots about it. We can tell you if, if he is. And Ted went from being this brilliant, creative, wonderful little little boy And I've got a wonderful photograph of him dressed as a superhero um, just before he started school. And he went from this wonderful, wonderful little, little fantastic creative person. And gradually, as the school got, he got more and more and more into school, he just really went more into himself. He was terribly unhappy. We couldn't get him to go to school in the morning. He just hated it. And I kept raising things with the school and saying, are you sure he's not dyslexic because he's he's not happy? He doesn't want to come into school. So something's going on. And they said, no, no, he's just he's a boy. He's he's a slow learner. Boys take a while to catch up um, or, or for things to get going. 
And then one evening when we were putting Ted to bed, we read him his bedtime story and this will make me choke up. So it's the second time I've told you and I'm already choking up again. But Ted actually said to me, he said, Mummy, what, what can I do so I don't have to wake up in the morning? And I said, what do you mean, Ted? He said, I just don't want to wake up. If I go to sleep tonight, I'm happy. If I wake up in the morning, I've got to go to school. And that makes me unhappy. And it was so heartbreaking for my my beautiful little boy to be made to feel like that at school. And I went into school the following day and relayed that to the teacher and said, look, I need him to be tested for dyslexia because this is what's going on, I can tell. And it transpired that nobody in the school actually had any training. They, They started telling me what was happening at school. I sat in on one of Ted's lessons and it was just so obvious to me he wasn't writing anything the other kids were. You could see what was happening and they just didn't have the knowledge. So I then trained in dyslexia myself so I could help, help Ted. And I realised that actually it's not mandatory for teachers to be given training in dyslexia, which is outrageous when we know that it's one in five children. So it's a huge number of kids who are sitting in our classrooms right now, brilliantly smart and not getting the support that they need. That was the pivotal moment in my life when I thought, you know what, I know what should be happening. I had that experience 35 years ago, and I am going to make damn sure that I change this. And that's really what what motivates me. And as a charity, um, we've partnered with Microsoft, and we've created free teacher training. And our mission is to train every single teacher in the world by 2030. We've aligned with the UN Sustainable Goals, and we are absolutely committed to making sure that every single school knows how to spot, support and empower dyslexic thinking. We've had two million people so far have viewed our teacher training, uh, their videos, their brilliant videos with two of the world's leading dyslexia schools. So that it has to change, that absolutely has to change. It's just totally heartbreaking what you said about that, honestly. And I, I don't think any parent should ever let that go. I mean, I can recall how many will, or I can imagine how many will sort of go like, no, you still have to go to school. Come on, toughen up. You can do a little better than this. While in reality, our children are just special. Every one of them has a skill that needs to be nurtured and has a weakness that needs to be taken care of. It's it's just what it is. And I think it's stupid that we we allow this to happen. At the same time, I commend you. I mean, that's amazing that you're so, I think you're taking that, you know how the tiger mother who will protect her children by all means, now you're protecting everyone's children's because honestly, I think this needs to stop. It needs to be, the awareness needs to be there and the skill needs to be there. Let's shift so that we close on the high. So Difficult childhood, if not taken care of, it becomes even more difficult. But when it's taken care of, you've you've mentioned some brilliant innovators, brilliant authors. What's the upside of dyslexia? What's the upside? I mean, I say dyslexia, but I also mean anything that you take care of when a child is not the mold. The child doesn't fit in the mold. There is always an upside, but let's use dyslexia. What's the upside? Where can our children, the one in five, go if we actually gave them the proper attention? 
Well, arguably, the one in five can go anywhere they want to go because we know that they've got exactly the skills that the future needs. But I think that the places that dyslexics really, really excel are anything to do with communication. We're brilliant storytellers. I've mentioned some fantastic authors, but we can be brilliant salespeople or brilliant journalists or brilliant TV presenters, all of those things that involve telling stories. And it's important that we don't focus on spelling mistakes, but we really focus on on content and the incredible messages that dyslexic children can give to the world. So, I mean, I would consider one of my dyslexic strengths is communicating and very much getting to the nub of a story and knowing the key things that people need to know about that. And that's something that I've put very much across in the book so other people can kind of follow the success formula and really understand what dyslexic thinking is. But entrepreneurs, we know, I mentioned earlier, 40% of dyslexics are entrepreneurs. Innovation, finding different ways of doing things, creating new businesses, that's what the world needs now. We're in an unprecedented, I hate that word, we all use it a lot, but we are in this unprecedented situation where we need people who are going to find solutions and create social impact and entrepreneurs not aren't just about making businesses they're about creating wonderful ideas that that propel our our world forward and dyslexics are just naturally good at seeing amazing ideas and and seeing what isn't there and imagining what could be so I think that's really really important those two areas are areas that I think dyslexics really excel and also creative industries I mean a lot of the world's biggest musicians and artists if you think of any great artist from our our time Picasso John Lennon Paul McCartney I mean just so many of these amazing creators that have given us things that um, we just couldn't live without they're all dyslexic so I, I would say to any dyslexic person young or old find what your passion is find what your skill is and just do it because you have something amazing to offer the world and if you follow all of the research right now we need dyslexic thinking so it's absolutely our time to shine i love what you're doing i think you're fantastic in championing it and i think everyone needs to reconsider honestly i think everyone needs to look at themselves look at those around them And I will repeat that brilliant statement. If we can teach anyone to pass exams, my son used to tell me that. My son, Habibi, he was so intelligent. And one day he came back from school and he had, he scored an A or a B plus in math or something like that. And he was a brilliant mathematician. And I was like, why Ali, why, why wouldn't you score an A plus? And he said, why do you want me to score an A plus? And I said, because you can. And he said, would you prefer if I learned how to answer the exam test and scored an A plus, but didn't learn math, or would you prefer if I actually knew math really really well, but didn't score an A plus in the exam? I think he was like 12 at the time. And I was stunned. I was like, I want you to learn math. And he said, so why are you so worried about the exam? And I think the idea, that statement of, We can teach anyone to pass the exams, but we need to know, as you rightly said, their skills, their ambitions, their dreams, their passions, so that they can become the best they can become in life. I think everyone listening, if you have children, please find their dreams, their ambitions, their skills, their passions, their strengths. If you are struggling to fit within the real world, because believe it or not, both me and Kate, 
struggle to fit in the real world. I struggle to fit in a world where editors will want me to have every sentence written correctly, but I'm about writing the idea. I struggle to fit in a world where I preferred mathematics to social sciences and geography, and everyone wanted me to succeed in all of it. And I think every one of us should revisit life. And instead of believing that we are supposed to fit within the mold that was built for the Industrial Revolution, perhaps we should start to believe that we should fit within the mold that we are, becoming the best that we can be. And I think this conversation today, Kate, is a wake-up call for everyone, dyslexics, to start, but everyone else. I think it's a major wake-up call. And I thank you so much for giving us your time today, for giving us your knowledge and your passion. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to to be with you. And I'm so pleased I helped you discover your dyslexic. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) It seems with everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And I hope you have a call to action. I hope you actually reflect and see where your strengths and passions are because this is, this is really the way to go through life. If you've enjoyed this conversation, share it with others, tell them what you have learned. If you haven't rated the podcast five stars already, what have you been doing? Rate it five stars, please, because it does help us spread the message to many more people. And uh, yeah, as always, I am so grateful for the alibi that you gave me to have those incredible weekly conversations on topics that really deserve for us to slow down and reflect upon. Regardless of how busy you are today, please remember that there is always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.